Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Worcester Talking Newspaper, recorded at Colin Chance House on Thursday the 9th of May. I'm Jenny Tansy and with me reading the news are... Sue Perry, Pam Holder, Kate Hudman. John Plush is standing in for Nigel Green as our engineer. Thank you, John. Uh, Carol Hartle is working on the administration and this week's copying team are Bernard and Doreen Potter and Janet Bailey. Thanks to Worcester News for all our information. The headlines this week are Panicked Driver Rammed Taxis, Cities Fight for Power, Speeding Cops Penalty Points Removed, City Crime Hotspots Revealed in Report, Masked Raiders Shock, Call to Stop the Sex Pests. Just a reminder, as requested by all listeners, that the obituaries will be read after the final music. And now we will go to Sue for the first headline. And this headline is from Friday, May the 3rd. A dangerous driver rammed into two taxis and gave both drivers whiplash when she panicked, heading home to look after her sick son. Diane Scarrett, who was suspected of drink driving, reversed at speed into one taxi and drove forward into another in the Cross, Worcester, in a bid to escape police, forcing one of the drivers to jump out of her path and officers to smash their way into her car to stop her. Wendy Coggan, chairman of Magistrates' Bench, told the defendant... This is a very serious matter. You could easily have caused serious injury or death. You weren't thinking straight, were you? The 29-year-old of Offerton Lane, Warned and Worcester admitted dangerous driving, failing, uh, sorry, f- yes, failing without reasonable excuse to provide a specimen of blood for analysis, driving without insurance and driving otherwise in accordance with a licence on Sunday, October the 14th last year, when she appeared before magistrates in Worcester yesterday. The incident happened at about 3am when two taxi drivers were at a set of traffic lights, one in front of the defendant and one behind her. Nicola Ritchie, prosecuting, said the Avon taxi driver noticed something wasn't right and saw a member of the public knocking on the front passenger window of Scarrett's Vauxhall Vectra to get her attention before revellers approached a group of three or four police officers nearby. As police officers walked towards Scarrett's car, she reversed towards his taxi. The taxi driver tried to reverse to prevent a crash, but there were other cars behind him, so he sounded his horn to get her attention. The car speeded up very quickly and aggressively as it continued to reverse towards the front of his taxi. He said he had nowhere to go. It continued to accelerate and smashed straight into the front of the taxi, Miss Ritchie told the court. Scarrett continued to reverse, accelerated forwards into another taxi before reversing again into the first. The first taxi driver got out of his car and described both himself and a police officer having to jump out of the way of her car to avoid being run over. When his taxi was hit for the second time, it was forced back into another car, causing damage to a third vehicle. One of the taxis worth £5,000 was written off. The driver had to buy a new one for £11,000 to continue working. 
he sustained whiplash injuries to his neck and back. The other taxi driver was left with repairs costing between £500 and £1,000. He also reported whiplash injuries to his neck and back. Scarrett received medical treatment for minor injuries. Miss Ritchie said, Officers could smell alcohol and arrested her for dangerous driving and drink driving. She then gave false details to officers. Scarrett was taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital but refused to provide a sample of blood. Gary Harper, defending, said Scarrett had received a call from her mother about her son being unwell. Because she had never had that separation before, she panicked and just wanted to get home as quickly as she could, said Mr Harper, who acknowledged it was a very silly mistake with hindsight. Magistrates sentenced her to 16 weeks in prison, suspended for 12 months, and ordered her to complete 200 hours of unpaid work within the next year. They also disqualified her from driving for 24 months. Scarrett was ordered to pay £200 compensation to each of the taxi drivers. Saturday, May the 4th. Cities fight for power. Control of Worcester City Council is hanging in the balance once again after the Conservatives lost overall control in an election night which saw the Greens gain a new councillor. In what was probably the biggest victory in the election, Green candidate Marjorie Bissett came out on top in St Stephen Ward with almost 58% of the vote toppling Conservative opponent and incumbent councillor Gareth Jones. The green gain means the city council is now made up of 17 Conservatives, 15 Labour councillors and three Greens. The three Green councillors are therefore likely to be key to future decision-making at the city council. After the result... Green leader Louis Stephen failed to rule out a coalition with another party, but said the party favours the committee system. The Green Party now holds both seats in St Stephen. However, Councillor Mark Bayliss, the current leader of Worcester City Council, who was re-elected for a third time in Bedwardine with a majority of 445, said the election was an amazing result for the Conservatives. He said, It's a bit of a deliverance, really. There was a terrible backdrop, obviously with Brexit, and to hold this many seats, and still be the largest party and s- here, to have lost just one seat on a year when we had so many seats and Labour had almost nothing, is an amazing result. This is a victory. We have won the popular vote by a mile tonight. Labour will be really unhappy. No complacency, we start again. Adrian Gregson, Deputy Leader of the Council, said Leader of the Council's Labour Group said, The national picture has clouded what has happened locally. We're in a position where we have held everything that we needed to. We haven't lost any seats. The Tories, on the other hand, have clung on by their fingernails in some places 
and of course had lost a seat to the Greens. I think the Greens seem to have done reasonably well. Is that a protest vote about things, or is it really a sign that people are interested in climate change? I doubt it. As usual, Worcester kind of wobbles one way or the other, but never actually seems to commit to one particular major party or another. That's fine, but what we need to do now is make sure that we hold these Tories to develop the city and move forward instead of dirty tricks and smear campaigns and actually get on with delivering a proper future for the city of Worcester. <coughs> Councillor Chris Mitchell held on to his seat in St Clement with a majority of 227 votes. Labour retained all of the three seats up for election. Councillor Richard Oodle was re-elected in St John's with a majority of 631, a ward in which, with 27% turnout, was the lowest across the city. Jenny Barnes was elected in Arboretum in a vacant seat left by Councillor George Squires, who had stepped down. With a majority of 225, and Councillor Simon Cronin was re-elected in Nunnery with a majority of 242. With 28% of voters turning up, Nunnery Ward had the second, learnest, second lowest turnout of the election. As the votes were counted, there were a few uncomfortable moments for the Conservatives. Councillor Andy Stafford faced tough opposition from Liberal Democrat candidate Melanie Alcott, but held on to his claim seat by 95 votes. And Councillor Lucy Hodson was pushed hard by Green candidate Andrew Cross, but was eventually re-elected in Warden Paris South by just 34 votes. Councillor Alla Ditter, who received one of the loudest cheers of the night, held on to his seat in Cathedral by 69 votes. Former Mayor Councillor Steve Mackay returned to the City Council a year after losing his seat in Battenhall and was elected this time in St Peter's, taking over from Councillor Roger Knight, who stepped down with a majority of 587. Nida Hassan was elected in Warnden Parish North for the Conservatives, taking over from Councillor Alan Feeney, who had stepped down, securing a majority of 197. The headline for Monday, May the 6th, Speeding Cops Penalty Points Removed. A police officer caught speeding on the edge of Worcester has had penalty points removed from his licence on appeal to allow him to carry on working as an advanced driver. David Newell, an officer based in London, had been restricted to administrative duties after he was clocked speeding on the A443 at Holt Heath. Though he accepted he was driving and the conviction was sound, he successfully appealed against his sentence at Worcester Crown Court on Friday. 
As a result, the court agreed to slash the number of points on his licence from five to three, so he could carry on his role as an advanced police driver. The 49-year-old from Shrewsbury admitted driving through the Worcestershire village at 50 miles an hour in a 30-mile-an-hour road at around 1pm on Saturday, on September the 10th last year. He was given five penalty points and a £415 fine. He already had three points on his licence for a previous speeding offence, driving at 35 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour limit road, though he was not a totter, which is 12 points or more. The five points in addition to the existing three meant he had eight points on his licence. This affected the role he performed as a police, police driver in London, said Patrick Kelly, prosecuting. It's accepted that uh, there are no criminal convictions, cautions or warnings, said Mr Kelly. However, he said the previous speeding matter was relevant. Mr Kelly said Newell had been employed with the police for 29 years and had performed his role as a police driver for 18. Mr Kelly said, It's a matter entirely for your honour in relation to sentence. Someone in that position with three points on their licence should already be aware of the rules and regulations. The guidelines for punishing such a speeding offence are for, for between four and six penalty points, with the magistrates imposing five. They also had the option of imposing a disqualification, but Mr Kelly said this was seen as more draconian. Patrick Hill, representing Mr Newell, said his client was a man of good character who had entire, entered a guilty plea at the earliest opportunity and, aside from the speeding offence, had a 31-year unblemished driving record, 18 years of which he had spent as an advanced police driver. He said his client accepted he was the driver and would in future make sure there's no repetition. Mr Hill added, the effect of the eight points is that he's currently restricted to administrative duties. As matters stand, that would be the position until the autumn of next year, a further 17 months. He asked if the court could step outside the bracket and impose three penalty points instead of the five originally imposed by magistrates or disqualify him for between 7 and 28 days. Judge Nicholas Cartwright, sitting with two of the magistrates who imposed the original sentence, said, For someone who has been driving for that length of time and acquired only that one endorsement for that offence, we are just persuaded that it that is mitigation sufficiently powerful to drive the number of penalty points down to the bottom of the available statutory range, namely three penalty points. With considerable reservation, we have come to that view. The fine and other financial orders stand. Tuesday, May the 7th, City Crime Hotspots Revealed in Report A small city centre speed is the street is the worst in Worcester for crime, including violence and antisocial behaviour, according to the latest police figures. Angel Street in Worcester stands out as a hotspot, according to the latest data published by police.uk which holds national data about crime in England, Wales and Northern Ireland. Of the 415 crimes reported in Worcester in February this year, 32 of them took place in Angel Street, which contains a number of businesses, including McDonald's, Subway and Cricketer's Pub, 
Best Kebab House, The Horn and Trumpet and Panama Jacks. The majority of the offences were antisocial behaviour, 20, but reports were also received about seven violence and sexual offences, these public order offenders and two thefts. In January this year, another Angel Street was also top of the list with 25 crimes reported, including 14 incidents of antisocial behaviour, seven violence and sexual offences, one of criminal damage and arson, two of public order and one of theft. A member of staff at the Horn and Trumpet in Angel Street said, many of the incidents seemed to happen outside Shakey's takeaway at around 5am or 6am in the morning. The woman who declined to be named said, we're closed at that time, but you hear people shouting, screaming and banging as they walk past. A lot of it seems to be alcohol-related. She also said homeless people sometimes congregated outside what used to be the Italian restaurant, which is now one of several shops and businesses standing empty. The barmaid said that the police tended to respond very quickly to incidents, but she would like to see a heavier police presence in the area late at night. We don't have much trouble here. We do have incidents. Everywhere does. But it's all very minor and dealt with quickly, she said. Aside from a few well-maintained businesses, Angel Street also contains a number of empty units, including the former home of the mine jewellers, Backhouse Bet, which closed last month, the old co-op and an ex-British school of motoring premises. Another crime hotspot was the corner of St Nicholas Street and Trinity Street, near Bushwhackers Nightclub, where a total of 20 offences were reported in February this year. These included 10 reports of violence and sexual offences, 7 of antisocial behaviour, 2 of public order and 1 of theft from a person. Lowesmore also stood out with 11 crimes reported in February this year, 3 of antisocial behaviour, 2 of criminal damage and arson, 1 of bicycle theft, 2 of theft, 2 of shoplifting and 1 of vehicle crime. A total of 11 crimes were reported in or near the Crown Gate Shopping Centre, including seven reports of antisocial behaviour in February this year. It was even higher in January when 22 crimes were reported, including eight involving the antisocial behaviour, seven violence and sexual offences, two of theft, one of burglary, one of criminal damage and arson, one of bicycle theft and one of shoplifting. West Mercia Police was not available for comment before we went to press. And this headline is from Wednesday, May the 8th. Masked Raiders Shock. A young couple are in shock after masked thieves armed with crowbars and other weapons broke into their home at an attempted dawn raid. Two men wearing balaclavas broke open Jacob Thompson's front door in St Peter's just after 5am on Tuesday, but he and his fiancée were able to scare them away. The 24-year-old believes he thwarted burglars after they had wanted to take keys to his mini and described how he looked into the eyes of one of them for around 30 seconds. He said, We just woke up to noise and they've cracked their way in wearing balaclavas. 
Both of us were woken up. I just rang the police straight away, but she banged on the window. Between us, both doing that, I think we scared them off. They had a car sat waiting there on the corner and sped off. <coughs> Mr Thompson, who identified the getaway car as a blue 68 Reg Seat Leon, said the only logical reason he could think of for the break-in was that they wanted the car keys. I don't think they set foot in the house because we managed to disturb them, but I'm just more concerned about our safety, to be honest. I was more worried about that, he continued. They've used crowbars and both had weapons of some description, metal poles or something. I don't know what they would have done. Mr Thompson lives with his partner, age 25, in Stromer Avenue, but she didn't wish to be named. He said the couple had both been frightened by the attempted break-in, adding, We're both scared, we're both worried, it's horrible, isn't it? It's our house, I can't really describe how I feel, to be honest. He said the incident had left him feeling scared and paranoid. That's the scary thing. Once something like this has happened, you start thinking that it's true. You can't trust anyone, he continued. The house is on the junction with Farn Avenue, where the thieves had apparently left their car before they sped off past the junction with Barlow Way towards St Peter's Drive. Mr Thompson is appealing for anyone in the area with CCTV to check if they have any footage of the incident or of the getaway car. He and his partner watched the scene from their first floor bedroom window where they were able to disturb the culprits enough to make them leave without coming inside. They didn't say a word. They were very careful, even when the guy stood in the middle here, he said. We had eye contact for 30 seconds before they stopped and he told the guy that was breaking in to stop by just tapping him on the shoulder and then he pulled him away. They didn't speak. It was quite clever. St Peter's Parish Council member Roger Knight said he was shocked to hear of the break-in and described the area as relatively low crime. It must have been very frightening for them. It's unbelievable that someone could do that, have such disregard for the people in the house. Detective Chief Inspector Ian Wall confirmed officers had launched an investigation after being called to an attempted burglary on Stromer Avenue just after 5am on Tuesday. (coughs) DCI Wall added, Being broken into is absolutely devastating and can have a long-lasting impact on the victims. When someone has unfortunately been a victim, we make sure this is followed up with advice and support. Some crime prevention measures people can take or can take include installing CCTV, burglar alarms and outside lighting. If you have any information, call police on 101 and quote reference number 57S of May the 7th. Call to stop the sex pests. Reports of sexual harassment in some city nightclubs are being dismissed by staff, leaving young people feeling vulnerable, claims the councillor. Councillor Richard Oodle said he has been made aware of several women who are being harassed both verbally and physically, though venue staff are allegedly taking little to no action. 
the county and city councillor for St John's believes the city licensing committee needs to examine ways to make our nightclubs safer, including retraining staff around dealing with harassment allegations. From what I am hearing, they have approached staff and are often being dismissed and not taken seriously, Councillor Oodle told the Worcester News. I want to make sure all establishments and staff involved know what they can do to ensure that they act appropriately. The councillor said complainants are frequently getting touched inappropriately or are subject to unwelcome lewd remarks, but staff respond with with anger or they are told to keep away from the culprits before agreeing to give a venue a licence. The city councillor's licensing committee agrees conditions with the operator to ensure Among other things, customers are kept safe. The venue's ability to meet these requirements is then monitored regularly. I think that as a local authority, we need to be aware of a potential increase in sexual harassment taking place in some nightclubs, continued Councillor Oodle. He said staff need to be more aware of the situation and the signals to ensure night spots are safe for everyone. And he said the council needs not be afraid to step in. I'm not saying that the clubs are failing necessarily, but I'm constantly hearing students say such and such has happened. Councillor Udall being based in St John's, where a lot of University of Worcester students live, said he doesn't want to be killjoy and students enjoy their nights in Worcester, but more decisive action must be taken. He said he does not believe that any complainants he is aware of having reported incidents to the police, but instead they go to other venues. They speak with their feet. A city council spokesman said, we take the safety of young people in nightclubs very seriously. Secular harassment should always be reported to the peace by calling 999 or 101. Working together with the police, the City Council offers safeguarding training to nightclub staff so that they know how to spot signs of exploitation and harassment and can act appropriately. Chief Inspector Sean Kent said... Our officers take all reports of sexual offences extremely seriously and will investigate all reports thoroughly. I would encourage all victims to report offences to the police. If they have been a victim, you will be believed and listened to. We have trained officers that will treat you with care and sensitivity and guide you through the process. If you have been the victim of a sexual offence, please ring 101 to make a report. If a crime is in progress, please call 999. A University of Worcester spokesman said, 
Sexual harassment or abuse of any kind is never acceptable. The University of Worcester has been a leader for many years in tackling this issue on a national and international scale through education, research and practical action. The university has been running a very successful bystander intervention program for the last two years, which has been helping students to develop their knowledge, skills and understanding around their response to gender-based violence, giving them greater confidence in terms of spotting unacceptable behaviour and to know their options for how to respond to it. The university and the students' union also work in partnership to run a number of campaigns, encouraging students to think about their own and others' personal safety throughout the academic year. We would welcome any initiatives which help to promote a zero-tolerance approach to abuse of any kind, and would always encourage students to report any incidents to police and to seek support from our specially trained staff should they need to. And now some more items that may well be of interest to you. The first Polish Heritage Day in Worcester commemorated the sacrifices made by Polish people during the Second World War and celebrated their ongoing contribution to British life. The Family Day at Cathedral Plaza in Worcester, organised by the Worcestershire Polish Association, drew in large crowds as they enjoyed music, street food and dancing. Visitors also admired a spitfire on display, peeking inside the cockpit. However, there was a more serious side to the event which included marking the courage of Polish air crews and other Polish nationals who served in the Second World War. The British and Polish national anthems were played one after the other, while a trumpeter played the Hedgenal, a short five-note anthem. Among those to attend the event was Second World War veteran Edward Zezmek, a 96-year-old Polish lieutenant who served with the Second Corps and is a personal friend of the organiser, Thomas Wisniewski, founder and sitting president of the Worcestershire Polish Association. The day was also a way to mark this year's 250th anniversary of the formal establishment of Polish-British diplomatic relations and the centenary of the renewal of Polish-British bilateral relations. The Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Jabarias, spoke of the bravery of Polish fighter pilots, which he said was legacy for all Poles to be proud of, and repeated his love and hate message. Roger Brunt, Worcestershire County President of the Royal British Legion, said the Polish Heritage Day recalls and highlights the courageous and vital contribution of the Polish armed forces during the Second World War and the Battle of Britain, the capture of Monte Cassino in 1944 and the closure of the Falais Gap during the breakout from Normandy in 1944. We remember all those who have lost their lives on active service in all conflicts from the beginning of the First World War right up to the present day. We also remember all those who have served and their families. In these endeavours, the contributions of the Polish Armed Forces in the cause of the Western Allies' rank 
rank with those of the very best and deserve our warmest appreciation. Speakers included Peter Sikora, a Polish Air Force historian, author and writer, and Dilip Sarka, an author and Battle of Britain expert who was made an honorary Pole. This, uh, that article will be featured in the uh, monthly magazine, so you'll hear a bit more about the Polish day. A caravan appears to have been mysteriously dumped in Bransford with a note left outside reading, Free to Collector. Esme Munslow said she first spotted the large caravan parked in a lay-by near the Fox Inn in Bransford Bridge on Friday, with the note appearing over the weekend. Miss Munslow said, I travel past the lay-by four times a day for work. It'll be a nuisance to the burger van that normally parks there and lorries that park there overnight. I had a brief look around it with my sister whilst explaining the situation to police. They said the officers would come to examine it in the next couple of days. Otherwise, it will be a council matter to remove it. It must have been towed there illegally because all tyres were muddy and flat. Miss Munro... Munslow, sorry, who lives in Malvern, said it appeared someone had been living in the caravan until recently. The whole lock had been unscrewed on the door, the bottom part of the door broken, she said. Nothing was mouldy, damaged or dusty. There were new toiletries, clothes hung up. It's full of clothes, new cutlery, new and clean glasses. Seems strange. Alan Deirdren, the Fox Inn's general manager, said... It was unusual, as it was not an area known for fly-tipping, and nothing similar had happened before. West Mercia Police was unavailable to comment before we went to press. Antiques expert Henry Sandon is recovering in hospital after a fall at home. Mr Sandon, 90, fell in his kitchen at home on Tuesday, April 30th and is thought to have spent nearly 20 hours on the floor before police officers broke in after his family were unable to contact him and raised the alarm. He was taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital where he is said to be recovering and in good spirits. Mr Sandon, widely regarded as the world authority on Worcester porcelain, has been a regular on the Antiques Roadshow since the 1970s. Born in 1928, he originally trained as an archaeologist where he developed his love of antiques. Between 1966 and 1982, he was the curator of the Dyson Perrins Museum. His son, John Sandon, is also an expert in glassware and antiques and has regularly appeared on the Antiques Roadshow. His contribution was honoured after the Henry Sandon Hall at the Worcester Royal Porcelain Museum was named after him. Children and teachers have been left heartbroken after chicks were stolen from a school. Youngsters were upset after discovering that six silky chicks they had been looking after had been stolen from their outdoor coop. Mandy Redfern, early years teacher from Lippard Grain Primary School, said the, the-, the theft had affected the nursery-aged children badly. Miss Redfern, age 48, said, "'The children are heartbroken and we are devastated.'" The children were frustrated as to why anyone would steal our school animals. The staff felt so lost 
It was upsetting to break the news to the children, as everyone had invested so much time and excitement over the last few months. We've had the children crying. It was like having a pet at home. You put so much love into them, and for them to suddenly be gone like that, we just can't believe it. It feels like part of the school is missing. It is now very quiet without them. The early years children at the school in Anchorage, Green Worcester, had been given a set of eggs and incubators as part of the children's learning theme. The chicks had been in the classroom for three months before being placed in their coop outside on Monday, April the 29th. Miss Redburn says the coop was broken into and the six chicks were stolen on Wednesday, May the 1st evening. She added, the grass had been trampled on and the food bucket had been moved. There were chick feathers on the floor. There were only around six or seven feathers lying on the floor, so it is clear the chicks were not, the chicks were not eaten, else it would have been mayhem and caused a ripe mess. Miss Redford added, the children very excitedly watched the eggs develop over the 21-day period and then filmed the chicks hatching from their eggs. The children enthusiastically took part in a naming competition and looked after them for weeks and weeks. It made their learning come alive. They have learned about empathy and key life skills. It is sad, and, and this is a harsh lesson which proves not everyone is considerate of other people's feelings. Miss Redfern claims that silky chickens are expensive to buy, costing £30 per chicken. She added, £30 per chicken is a lot of money for a school to spend on replacing the chicks. We had two white and four golden silky chicks. They were absolutely beautiful. They looked like a ball of fluff with tiny feet and spiky hair. The children brought in posters appealing to find the chicken thief, but the theft has not yet been reported to police. A sign accusing the Morven Hills Trust of creating a death zone on the hills has been described as fraudulent. The sign bears the logos of Morven Hills Trust and Natural England and accuses the Trust of adding to global warning by burning wood and releasing about 1,900 grams worth of carbon dioxide for each 1,000 grams of wood burned. However, the Trust has said the sign is completely unauthorised and its erection is also a breach of the relevant bylaws. The sign appeared at Happy Valley, above St Anne's Road, where the Trust has been carrying out land management work. Trust Chief Executive Duncan Bridges said the sign was an entirely false and unauthorised one that had been erected on land under our care. Whoever erected it, erected it is in breach of the local bylaws and may also find themselves liable for deliberate misrepresentation and impersonation of our organisation. Mr Bridges also defended the Trust's burning of wood undertaken as part of its land management. He said, The tree works at Happy Valley were undertaken during the last winter and were part of our five-year land management plan. They involved selective thinning and clearance of invasive young sycamore trees in order to help 
both maintain the Victorian avenues of trees there, as well as restoring open habitats in the valley. Genuine notices explaining the work were erected on site by our staff both before and during the work. Mr Bridges added, the fraudulent notice has been removed. See worcesternews.co.uk for updates on this story. Thousands turned out for the annual St Richard's Boat and Car Festival over the bank holiday weekend. Brightly coloured natural boats, sorry, narrow boats grabbed attention in Vines Park while an array of vintage and classic cars were parked in streets throughout the town centre. The festival, which celebrates St Richard, the patron saint of Droitwich, is in its 13th year after it was started in 2007 and grew into an annual extravaganza, traditionally held over the May bank holiday. Visitors this year enjoyed boat trips on the Pamela May, a market, arts and crafts, face painting, a dog show, community stalls, children's activities and family fun games. A well blessing and a bouncy castle for youngsters. There was also live entertainment in a marquee food stalls and a real ale bar for the festival goers to enjoy. Performances included comedy and music from the Rowney Green Players, Droitwich Community Choir, Alvely Village Band, The Executives, Salvation Army, Rock Choir, Blackwell Concert Band, Alva Church Community Choir, The Reflections, The Sound, a.k.a. Mel and Him and Dirty Brass. The free event, which is organised jointly by Worcester, Birmingham and Droitwich Canal Society, which Avon District Council and Droitwich Town Council, came to an exciting conclusion with the running of the annual Great Droitwich Duck Race yesterday afternoon. Organisers say the festival is a way for boaters to moor either at Netherwich Basin or alongside the path in Vines Park, and catch up with old friends, and for local businesses and organisations to promote themselves. Also during the weekend, St Augustine's in Dodrill, in Dodderhill, sorry, rang its bells and gave visitors the chance to go to the top of the tower to see the views, which Avon District Council Deputy Leader and Droitwich Councillor Richard Morris said, Great day at St Richard's Festival, Great to see the new Pamela May at the festival. He added that one of the fun activities, a human fruit machine, was a brilliant fundraising idea from Droitwich Lions. More information has emerged about how an historic cricket pavilion in Worcester will be dismantled and transported to a museum. The pavilion on the Cinderella ground is being moved as part of plans to regenerate the ground and bring it back into use. The pavilion is the original home of Worcestershire County Cricket Club and where W.G. Grace once played. Work to remove the pavilion will include each piece of the building being taken apart and given a digital tag which corresponds to a 3D model of the building created by students from the University of Wolverhampton. From there, each piece will be taken to the Avoncroft Museum in Bromsgrove, where the pavilion will be rebuilt and turned into an exhibit. 
At Avoncroft, each piece will be assessed to see if it needs replacing or if it is good enough in good enough condition to remain part of the building. Nick Sturgis, head of head of collections and interpretation at Avoncroft, said, It is an exciting project as our goal is to preserve historic buildings from across the Midlands. We haven't put a time scale on the rebuilding at Avoncroft as we would rather take the time to make sure we get it right than put it up too quickly and it not being right. The worst thing would be to rebuild it only for it to fall down because it wasn't done properly. So we would rather take our time and ensure we do do it properly. We are fortunate that most of the pavilion is wooden So even if we do have to replace parts, the knowledge and expertise is there to remake them. Removal of the existing pavilion is being carried out by Worcester firm Joseph Woods Builders. Director of Joseph Woods Builders, Sean Cochran, confirmed a small amount of asbestos had been found in the pavilion, but said it had been removed and disposed of safely and would not delay the work. He added... We are hoping the removal will be completed in the next two weeks. Anything which is modern and not needed for the rebuilding will be disposed of properly and then the rest will be sent down to Avoncroft to be put back together. City's HMV is set to shut. Signs have gone up at Worcester's HMV store to announce it is closing. The Crowngate Shopping Centre's future has been in a doubt for a while after former owners, Hilco, appointed administrators KPMG late last year. At that time, a statement, Hilco, said it had resolved to appoint administrators from KPMG to the business following extremely weak Christmas football. Paul McGowan, the former executive chairman of HMV, also said in January, even an exceptionally well-run and much-loved business such as HMV cannot withstand the tsunami of challenges facing UK retailers on top of such a dramatic change in consumer behaviour in the entertainment market. But in February, the high street saw appeared to be safe, After it was confirmed, the firm was out of administration after being purchased by Sunrise Records and Entertainment Limited. Doug Putman, chief executive of Sunrise, said after that announcement, we're delighted to acquire the most iconic music and entertainment business in the UK and add nearly 1,500 employees to our growing team. We know the physical media business is here to stay and we greatly appreciate all the support from the suppliers, landlords, employees and most importantly our customers. However, it now appears that only staved off the closure temporarily as signs reading, store closing, everything must go have been put up in the front windows to inform customers it is set to shut its doors. Yesterday, staff at the store said they were not able to comment and pointed us in the direction of HMV's head office. Attempts were made to speak to Sunrise, asking when the closing date will be and how many redundancies the closure would lead to, but no one was available for comment. Across the region, 
Branches of HMV in Hereford and at Merry Hill closed down earlier this year. The first ever HMV store was opened by Worcestershire's favourite son, Edward Elgar, who enjoyed a long association with the music store chain. The world-renowned composer was seen as one of the company's star performers in the early days, when HMV was originally called the Gramophone Company, and it opened the doors to its flagship Oxford Street store. A Worcestershire trio are making encouraging progress after injuries. This is a county cricket, uh, Worcestershire County Cricket Club uh, a report. All-rounder and club captain Joe Leach is back playing for Shrewsbury in the Birmingham League and for Worcestershire seconds after his stress fracture of the back. The 27-year-old impressed in last week's second eleven championship match at Lancashire when he took the new ball and picked up wickets in both innings. He ended with a match analysis of 6 for 28 from 20 overs. County Head of Sports Science and Medicine Ben Davis said Joe has had no reaction to any of his back-to-bowling programmes so far. He is well on course at the minute. If he can get some overs under his belt in second-team games and club cricket, then we will look to reintroduce him into first-team cricket at some stage. He has had no reaction, which is very positive. Paceman Dylan Pennington has had a protective boot removed from his ankle in which he suffered ligament damage during fielding practice and is working with strengthening and conditioning coach Ross Dewar. Davis said Dylan has been in a protective boot for two weeks just to immobilise the ankle really and everything is also going to plan at the minute. He is back in with Ross doing some strengthening work and we will look to reintroduce him to bowling, hopefully in two to three weeks. Young spinner Ben Tuig had a successful operation to repair his anterior cricate ligament and he started on the long haul back to fitness with initial rehab work. Davis said Ben has had surgery on his ACL and everything has gone to plan so far, so he's just in the early stages of rehab now. Everything is on course and he is fine. County paceman George Scrimshaw has had injections in a sore and stiff lower back. Davis added, George had returned to playing seconds cricket for two to three weeks, just building up his overs to make himself available for white ball cricket. Unfortunately, against Gloucestershire at Royal Grammar School, Worcester, he felt some soreness and stiffness in his lower back. He has since been for some injections in his back to try to settle things down and for pain relief. We are just going to rehab George and get him back to bowling again as quickly as we can. Leach is continuing his coming back from the seconds in the championship against Warwickshire at Barnt Green. Former Leicestershire and Sussex batsman Angus Robson, the brother of England opener Sam, is also playing. The 27-year-old last played first-class cricket at Hove during the 2017 season and has signed on for Kidderminster in the Birmingham League. And now we have Jules, who's a new volunteer, who's going to read the continuation of the sport for us. Football news now, and Worcester Raiders have been charged by the West Midlands Regional League over the abandonment of a match in March, with the outcome set to decide the title. Raiders have been winning 3-1 at Bustleholm in the second minute of added time, when referee Peter Dernal brought proceedings to a premature halt, following a brawl involving players and staff at both clubs and members of the club crowd on March the 19th. 
Separate cases against both clubs got found proven by an FA disciplinary commission on Thursday, May 2nd, with Raiders fined £175 for failing to control players, staff or spectators, despite having entered a not-guilty plea. Raiders had seven days to decide whether to appeal that call, with chairman Kevin Jenkins yesterday indicating the club was still considering its options. The abandonment led to the match being scrubbed from the records, meaning Raiders trail Division 1 title rivals Darlaston Town by two points, with the season now over and need the WMRL to award them the bustle home victory to win the league. It was only after the FA case had been heard that the WMRL could act with Raiders and Busselholm, now accused of falling foul of Rule 20E of the League Standard Code. Any club found guilty misses out on the points available from the abandoned game. Raiders have denied the league's charge and requested a personal hearing which is scheduled to take place on Monday evening ahead of the league's management committee meeting. A decision is likely to be taken on the night with the clubs, set to discover their fate next Tuesday, although the whole process could be, rel- could be held up if Raiders chose to appeal the decision made by an FA disciplinary commission last week. The league rules in full reads, The management committee shall review all competition matches abandonment in cases where it is consequent upon the content of either, of either or both teams. Whether it is to the advantage of the competition and club, no injustice to either club, the management committee shall now empowered to order the score at the time of the abandonment to stand. In all cases where the management committee is satisfied, a competition match was abandoned owing to the conduct of one team or its club members, they shall be empowered to award the points for the competition match to the opponent. In cases where a competition <coughs> match has been abandoned owing to the conduct of both teams or their club, manage- or their club members, the management committee shall rule that neither team will be awarded any points with that competition match and it shall not be replayed. No fines can be applied by the management committee for an abandonment competition match. Should the league's decision go against Raiders, they would have 14 days to appeal to the National Football Association. Jenkins said it would be inappropriate to say anything before we go ahead to the meeting on Monday. A leading sight loss charity is calling for members of the public to help visually impaired people get out and about. The My Guide service, launched by Guide Dogs, matches volunteer guides with those who suffer from sight loss. Val Humphreys, age 53, from Droitwich, has previously benefited from the service. She said, I applied for support from a My Guide volunteer to help me get out and about, make me feel more independent and to do something with someone else. There is also limited public transport in my area, which makes it harder for me to get out on my own. I wanted to explore the wonderful canal network near to where I live And this is something that I wouldn't feel confident about doing on my own because of the narrow path and cyclists who come whizzing past. I wanted a service that could fit in and around my full-time job. And this service, offered by Guide Dogs, is ideal. Val and volunteer Lindy have been out together once so far and hope to visit some local National Trust houses and gardens together in the coming months. On our first trip out together, we had a fabulous time. Lindy is excellent company. We have a good laugh together and have lots to talk about. 
Beth Wise, my guide volunteering manager for the Worcestershire area, said, Being a my guide volunteer is fun, flexible and rewarding, and we partner people based on common interests. If you could spare just a few hours a week or a fortnight to help a local person with sight loss get out and about, then please get in touch. Volunteers must be 18 or over and no experience is necessary. Full accredited training is provided. Guide dogs is also required to carry out a full enhanced DBS check for each volunteer. If you are interested in volunteering as a sighted guide in Worcestershire, please contact Guide Dogs Birmingham on 0345 143 0194 or email bethwise at guidedogs.org.uk. And this is um, a story about the air ambulance. All That Jazz will raise funds for the air ambulance at an event organised by Pershaw Jazz and Pershaw Rotary Clubs. A spokesman said, Pershaw Jazz and Pershaw Rotary Clubs are jointly presenting a gala charity jazz night on May the 17th, featuring the world-renowned Pasadena Roof Orchestra. The event will be held at Pershaw's number no. 8 Community Arts Centre and all proceeds from the event will go to support the Midlands Air Ambulance Charity who save lives by saving time. The Pasadena Roof Orchestra celebrating its 50th anniversary this year is one of the UK's finest dance bands playing music from the Roaring Twenties and Elegant Thirties. The orchestra's unique style, attention to music detail and relentless sense of fun soon became a hit, not only in the UK but worldwide. The orchestra has toured the USA five times to critical acclaim and has performed at the Albert Hall and Buckingham Palace. That's a huge draw, but that's not all. Thomas Spatz Langham, a popular local musician from the Cotswolds, will be playing his guitar and banjo with the orchestra in number eight. He said it's an honour to perform with the orchestra in Pershaw during the 50th anniversary year tour and it feels even better knowing that all profits from the event will be going to a very worthwhile cause, the Midland Air Ambulance Charity. Pershaw Jazz is in its 18th year of existence and holds a monthly jazz night in Pershaw Football Club on the last Wednesday of the month. The club has a reputation for offering all genres of jazz from top-class musicians. It also runs the widely acclaimed Pershaw Jazz Festival, held in Pershaw College campus, which provides scope for an even wider range of jazz appreciation. Full details on all jazz sessions and the Pershaw Jazz Festival can be found on www.pershawjazz.org.uk. And the phone number for number 8 is 01386 555 Male Voice Choir's annual concert is returning to Holy Trinity Church. All are welcome at the concert, which is called Keep the Music Flowing, and will include songs from the shows, songs from parts of the British Isles, and a cross-section of 20th century music from America, including a couple of hits by Paul Simon. 
Joining the choir for the concert will be the choir's previous accompanist, Tim Sidford, who will be performing with several students he accompanies at Malvern St James. As well as the music, there will be interval refreshments. And Charles Pavey, the choir's conductor, said, We are having a busy summer and it's good to start with a concert at our home. It will be an early evenings, summer's evening concert of male, ma- male voice choir singing with some inspiring performances from our guests. The choir will be joined by another guest, Ruth Melouche, so it sh- really will be a very full evening of music performance by musicians from around the town. The show will be at Holy Trinity Church at 7.30pm on Saturday, May the 18th. Tickets cost £10, although 18s and under are free and are available to be bought in advance by calling 01684 561126 or at Burley's Hairdressers, Worcester Road, Great Malvern. A crime thriller has been published this spring in which a serial killer stalks the canal towpaths of Worcester. Canal Pushers is the debut novel by Andy Griffey, a former BBC journalist. I wanted the first book to start and end in Worcester, as it is a city I know so well, said Mr Griffey. The book's prologue begins with a deliberate drowning at night on the towpath near the commandery and ends with another attack on the Worcester and Birmingham Canal at Oddingley. The climax of the book takes place on the canal during a Worcester Warriors home game at Sixways. The idea for the book, which was published on May 2nd, was inspired by newspaper reports of a possible serial killer who may be at large in the Greater Manchester area where a number of unexplained drownings have taken place. Mr Griffey, 57, said canals can be wonderfully peaceful and beautiful places, but they can also be dark and threatening and as well, and I wanted the book to capture that sinister aspect. He hopes readers will be gripped by the story of a divorced and penniless ex-journalist who buys a narrowboat to live on and soon becomes embroiled in trouble and chased by the media a professional crime gang and the serial killer who disguises himself as a fisherman. Mr Griffey, who lives in Shelsley Beauchamp, in the Teem Valley near Worcester, says there is also romance at the heart of the book and some humorous lighter moments. Canal Pushers will be the first fictional title to be published by Orphans Publishing of Lemster. It can be pre-ordered from orphanpublishing.co.uk. Current and former firefighters of Hereford and Worcester Fire Rescue Service gathered across the two counties for memorial events. At Morven Fire Station, firefighters were joined by members of the public, local councillors and the High Sheriff of Herefordshire to mark International Firefighters Day on Saturday, May the 4th. Station Commander Stuart Dewar led a minute's silence following a roll call of the names of colleagues and personnel from HWFRS who had died in the service of their communities. There was also a 15-second sounding of sirens and then a minute's silence. Mr Dewar said, We remember our fallen colleagues today on National Firefighters Memorial Day. The parade was well attended and served as a reminder of the ultimate sacrifice firefighters may be asked to make in the service of their communities. There was also an event at Deutrich Fire Station where following a parade, crews observed the minute silence which began and finished to the sound of sirens. 
International Firefighters' Day is observed on St. Florian's Day, as he is the patron saint of firefighters. St. Florian was born in about 250 AD in Austria and joined the Roman army, rising to commander of the Imperial Army. In addition to his military duties, he was also responsible for leading firefighting brigades and trained an elite group of soldiers whose sole duty was to fight fires. Fans of Worcester City Football Club have used a whopping banner to rail against delaying tactics over the club's homecoming. Supporters unfurled the monster 45-metre message across Worcester Bridge and near Worcester Cathedral on Tuesday. It pleads with Worcester City Council to do the right thing and back a proposed new community sports facility at Purdiswell. The homeless club has been playing outside of the city since 2013, following the sale of St George's Lane to developers, with the first option of a new ground at Nunnery Way falling through. Worcester City Supporters Trust, the independent fans group that recently acquired a controlling interest in the club, eventually won its fight for planning permission for a ground at Purdiswell via an appeal to the Planning Inspectorate in September 2018. The next hurdle is access to the council-owned land, with fans keen to break through resistance from some residents and councillors. Rich Widowson, a city supporter and member of the Trust Board, said it is a message from supporters generally and the Trust backs the message that the city has to come home. It attracted a lot of attention. People came past tooting their horns and there have been more than 200 people sharing it on Facebook. The feedback has been brilliant. The council says they fully support Worcester City coming back, but they are empty words. Where are they going to come back to? We have put forward many different sites and every single one has had something thrown in the way of it. If they want us to come back, they have to mean it. We think there are delaying tactics involved, fobbing us off with empty promises and we are not going to put up with it. If they don't want City to come back, say so. Purdiswell is the best location. It is a site that has been earmarked for it for years. It is on the outskirts of the city and we are talking about a non-league football ground. Widowson also argued resistance to the plans had been minimal when volunteers addressed residents recently. We have delivered 2,000 leaflets over the last couple of weeks around the houses in St Stephen's and did it when we knew people would be at home, he added. There were only a couple who said they wouldn't want it under any circumstances. Others had no idea what the ground would be like. Once we pointed out what the plans entail, the response was, what's the problem? If the council wants to listen to people, listen to the vast majority of views and not just those that will decide a seat on one particular ward. Worcester City Council declined to comment. A judge told a man who admitted street-dealing cannabis that he was only just avoiding prison, but warned he might not be as lenient if he saw him again. Jack Evans cried in the dock when he was told his prison sentence had been suspended, but he would face an eight-month curfew. Last month, the 20-year-old admitted being concerned in making 
in making an offer to supply a controlled drug to another between November 2017 and June 2018 and a further charge of possession of Class B in June last year. And Evans returned to Worcester Crown Court yesterday for his sentencing. Amanda O'Mara, prosecuting, said on June the 11th, police were called to Evans' former home where he had lived with his mother and while they, they were there, they searched the property. Miss O'Mara explained officers found cannabis and drug paraphernalia, including more than £300 in cash and resin bags, and in an interview later said the cannabis was for his personal use. When the prosecutor mentioned about mobile phones found, Judge Andrew Lockhart, QC, interjected, I have read the messages on them, an eighth here, an eighth there. He didn't tell the truth in the interview. Miss O'Mara highlighted his previous convictions that included an assault and said there was a suspended jail sentence for possessing an offensive weapon, pointing out that Evans was subject to an order with unpaid work but had completed only one and a half hours and not attended probation sessions. Defending, Nicholas Berry stressed to the judge that there was in fact only one unauthorised absence as he had medical notes to explain the others. But when he argued that Evans was unfit to complete, complete unpaid work, the judge challenged Mr Berry. There are many thousands of young men who are anxious and depressed, but who go to work each and every day, the judge said. Mr Berry replied, <clears throat> every person is different. This is a vulnerable young man. There is a lot about him that has come to the surface. He displays immaturity. He is strongly influenced. He can go to jail for the first time, but it would do nothing good for him at all. Mr Berry pointed out Evans had been addicted to cannabis for some time and added his mother wanted nothing to do with him after the circumstances of his, circumstances of his arrest. Sentencing him, the judge told Evans, you knew exactly what you were doing in dealing. You were running a dealing operation and you sold it on the streets. The judge said the drug was known to have psychotic effects, which he said could in part have caused Evans' anxiety and depression. You are suffering from mental health problems. I'm afraid very many people deal with their mental health and are able to go to work, he added. The judge said he felt the aggravating feature was the length of dealing which had gone on for seven months, but he had been persuaded to suspend the sentence. He gave Evans a nine-month jail sentence, suspended for 24 months, 30 rehabilitation activity days, and he placed him on an eight-month curfew. Judge Lockhart said if there was any future court appearances, Evans would be brought before him, adding, I have made a contract with you and you keep your side and you will be fine. A Persian man will celebrate reaching 100 years of age tomorrow with a telegram from the Queen. Bill Edwards, a resident at Stonebow House Care Home, said his secret to a long life is good food and a tot of whiskey each night. Mr Edwards grew up in the black country until he was called up for national service during the Second World War. He enlisted into the RAF, training as a mechanic when he was in his early 20s. Mr Edwards was drafted to Canada shortly after his enlistment and said, We were issued with a jungle hat, certainly not suitable for cold Canada, so we had those took off us as soon as we arrived. During Mr Edwards' time off, he visited Hudson Bay in the far north of the country, near to where he was stationed in Battleford, Saskatchewan. 
I remember encountering a grizzly bear, but we didn't make a fuss, so it just wandered off, Mr. Edwards added. Towards the end of the Second World War, he was part of the draft for the 10th Bomber Squadron USA, but he never made it to Okinawa, Japan. Mr. Edwards says the Americans pulled a fast one by dropping the atom bomb, and that put a complete end to the war. However, tragedy struck closer to home when his brother, Hayden, a member of the RAF regiment, was killed at the Battle of Monte Cassino, Italy. Mr. Edwards found work after the war at GKN as an engineer on crankshafts retiring in 1977. He met his wife, Phyllis, on VE Day 1945. The couple went on to have one child, 71-year-old Carol. Hazardous asbestos has been dumped in the Malvern Hills. An estimated 20 corrugated roofing sheets were discovered by a volunteer warden at Earnslaw Car Park. There was anger that the removal of the potentially deadly waste will now cost £1,000, which will be met by the Morven Hills Trust, which manages the site. Amy Forster-Smith, Trust spokeswoman, said, We're disappointed because we've been landed with a £1,000 removal bill as we've needed to get a specialist company in to deal with the material. A section of the car park was cordoned off until the removal was completed at around noon yesterday. There is no ongoing risk to the public. The material would have been dumped sometime during the early hours between Wednesday and Thursday. Paul Esrich, manager of the Morgan Hills area of Outstanding Natural Beauty Partnership, said... We will always condemn fly tipping in the area of outstanding natural beauty. The current case is particularly worrying since it has the potential to impact on human health as well as the natural beauty of the area. Asbestos was widely used in the construction industry until the 1970s. Long-term exposure can lead to respiratory failure and the fibres can collect in the lungs, causing a rare form of cancer known as mesothelioma. The British Government's Health and Safety Executive, HSC, has rigorous controls on the handling of the substance and how it is disposed of. They say at least 4,000 people die each year from asbestos-related lung disease due to previous exposure. Foodies had a bountiful feast at a new event that brought hungry people together after work to try an array of tasty treats. After work, Feast Street saw street stalls in the city centre supplied by the foodie collective known as Grub Club. Visitors sampled gourmet dishes from companies like Chester's, who, despite the drizzly weather, brought their popular takes on Mexican cuisine to the streets. Ibrahim Ben-Gurza, from Platinum Pancakes, based in St John's, near the university, gave our reporter a free sample of his delicious cinnamon pancake, freshly made with locally sourced ingredients. Mr. Ben Gerza said, I think the location works. It's a really nice setup. It's an opportunity to expand my business. I try to do farmers markets around here as well. James Pomlet bought his business, Crafty Pom, from Litchfield for the evening. He said, We try to do these events. We started up with a big business in Litchfield, then created a secondary business out of it. 
we started as a restaurant and then rebranded this year. There was plenty to dig into with a brightly coloured Ben and Jerry's ice cream van and a barbecue van before the live music also played. The feast popped up at four o'clock yesterday in the Cathedral Square and the Corn Market, organised by Worcester Bid. After Worcester Street Feast will happen every... After work, sorry, street feast will happen every first Thursday of the month from May until August with companies such as Patty Freaks, Fat Snacks, Urban Cheesecake and Box Food taking part. The feast caters for a variety of diets and a range of vegan and vegetarian options. An iconic locomotive thrilled onlookers as it steamed through Herefordshire. The Duchess of Sutherland was on the third day of a nine-day tour of Great Britain. Beginning its journey in Taunton, Somerset, at 8.20am on Monday, it stopped to take on water at Hereford at 12.08pm. The train then passed Lempster before ending its journey for the day at Preston, Lancashire. People gathered at vantage points along the route through Herefordshire to catch a glimpse of the iconic locomotive. It was built in Crewe in 1938 and its original job was to haul fast express passenger services between London and Glasgow. But after being restored, it became the first steam train to haul the Royal Train for 35 years to the Queen's Diamond Jubilee in 2002. The luxury locomotive is currently engaged in a tour of Britain that started at London Paddington and is taking in the Scottish Highlands before heading back to the capital. Police patrols are set to increase in and around Angel Street in Worcester City Centre following newly published figures that reveal it to be a crime hotspot. Angel Street is the worst location in Worcester for crime including violence and antisocial behaviour, according to the latest data published by Police.uk, which holds national data about crime in England, Wales and Northern Ireland. Of the 415 crimes reported in Worcester in February, this year 32 of them took place in Angel Street. Inspector David Troth said, Angel Street remains a popular focal point for Worcester's nighttime economy and sees many people congregate here, particularly at weekends, after the pubs and clubs close. Tackling antisocial behaviour in Worcester City Centre remains a priority for the Safer Neighbourhood team and we continue to work closely with local businesses to train the staff in safeguarding young people and dealing with any conflict that may arise. We are also committed to ensuring that there is increased police presence in this area during these busier periods to offer the community reassurance and resolve any reported issues. A number of community protection notices and criminal behaviour orders have also been issued to those individuals intent on causing issues in and around Angel Street. We will not tolerate antisocial behaviour in our community and we will do everything in our power to bring these responsible to justice. The story led to a number of comments from readers at WorcesterNews.co.uk, many of whom said it was no surprise that Angel Street was a hotspot for violence and antisocial behaviour. Worcester claimed it was the most rundown area in Worcester, adding, It's a complete hovel. If it wasn't for McDonald's, it'd be completely dead. Not only are there empty art units and I saw, it's a hotbed for the dossers to laze about in the alleyway that leads to the Crown, being particularly disgusting. 34 Club said it's by far one of the most disliked areas of the city, but it has been the same for 35 years plus. Dan Russell said it's the busiest street at kicking out time. Fights happen all the time and yet no decent CCTV. 
Companies should also have to supply working CCTV if they wish to supply an out-of-hour service for the protection of customers and staff. A barmaid in Worcester who ran the London Marathon in memory of her brother claimed she was called fat and slow and sprayed with road-cleaning chemicals by contractors. Michelle Scarrett, 37, has joined other runners who've hit out with similar claims about the handling of Sunday's event in the capital. Reports have emerged of competitors being barracked and laughed at while the course was being dismantled and roads cleaned before some of the runners had finished. Mrs Scarrett, who shed three stone in preparation, said she had put her heart and soul into getting ready for this run, only to lend up with a nightmare experience. I must say I've never been so abused and mistreated in my life, she said. I was ahead of the two paces when the abuse started. I was sprayed with road-cleaning chemicals several times and called fat and slow by the clean-up crew. I was nearly run over in front of my seven-year-old son. As I was running by the curb to keep out of the way, I fell over and injured my hip. I hobbled to the finish using Google Maps as I wasn't sure of the way. I struggled to find water and had to ask strangers in St John's Ambulance for a drink. I was abused and laughed at and felt really bad. I was always the child watching the marathon, hoping to one day run it. Sunday should have been a dream come true, but it was a nightmare. Mrs. Scarrett took part to raise money for the Cystic Fibrosis Trust in memory of her brother, George Jones, who died from the disease in 2007, aged 21. Some £685 has been pledged, but Mrs. Scarrett was in no mood to celebrate. I was supposed to be having a party for him two days before my late dad's birthday. Thank you, Virgin London Marathon, for making it so much harder, she added. Worcester News approached London Marathon events for comment, but received no reply from the media inquiries telephone line. Former pupils have praised a popular history teacher after he retired from a Worcester school after more than three decades. As we previously reported... Alan Jenky Jenkinson, aged 64, has taught at Blessed Edward Old Corn Catholic College for 36 years and retired on Tuesday. After our story, former pupils flocked to leave messages of goodwill for the teacher. Charles Martel said, I wish, sir, a happy retirement. He ignited my interest in history and it was always a pleasure being in his class. Another of Mr Jenkinson's ex-pupils, Becky Poole, who now works at the school, said, He was a fabulous teacher, and over the last year I've had the pleasure of being his colleague too. He ignited a love of history and inspired me to be a teacher. An emotional Mr Jenkinson said of the comments, I'm absolutely speechless. Worcester to me is like a small village, just like Bilston in the black country where I was born. I've always strived to engage pupils and treat them with respect and my Christian outlook has helped me during my teaching career. 
The job isn't a sprint, it's a marathon, and I always urged the trainees to get that work-life balance correct. There is far more pressure nowadays with the increased inspections and more paperwork. The fear of losing precious years with his son prompted a radio DJ who used to broadcast in Worcestershire to showcase his dieting on television. Matt Vaughan, who used to present on what was Wyvern FM, weighed in at 22 stone two years ago, but has since shed three of those in a lifestyle change prompted by the arrival of son Caleb. He picked up more than 20,000 social media followers through blogging his story and took in ITV's singing show Change Your Tune a year ago. Now Matt, 38, is returning to our screens in Save Money, Lose Weight, which airs on Tuesday at 7.30 on ITV1 to test the Dukan diet, a high-protein, four-phase plan. I started two years ago because I wanted to lose weight to be in a better, healthier situation to spend more time with my son, said Matt. I didn't want to reach the point where I had diabetes or got ill and end up having less time with him. He is really cool and I want to be here for as long as I can. He is a massive motivation for me. The blog started to make it more like work so I would stick to it and other people started to like what I posted. If I have had a bad day and I've eaten a cake, I put it on there because that's what the whole thing is about. One of the reasons I did the blog was to show it is okay to talk about this. Blokes don't tend to talk about it and I don't know why. When I have gone to slimming clubs it has always been women, maybe partners, if they are being forced, but once they are onto it they tend to stick at it. That's one of the barriers I wanted to break down. The current diet has not been without its quirks though. The weirdest thing was jellied eggs and egg wrapped in ham set in gelatine with brandy. I stopped the brandy and just had ham and egg, which was more doable, added Mark Matt. You start introducing vegetables every other day and then two pieces of bread a couple of times a week. And when you get to your goal, the final phase gets much closer to normal life. Matt's weight loss will be revealed on Tuesday, after which he plans to continue his blog, thedietjourney.com. And that nearly uh, gets us to the end of tonight. Um, Listeners are kindly reminded to return memory sticks promptly to facilitate a smooth operation and use of resources. As from now, you will only receive two weeks of recordings. If neither of these are returned, you will not receive further recordings. If you're unwell or have a problem, please ring us on 01905-767766 and leave a message. Uh, lighting up time is 2049 to 524am. We'd like to wish a very happy birthday on the 17th of May to Diane Smith and on the 18th of May to Anita Borgarditz. A donation was received from Mr. and Mrs. Whitcomb. Thank you very much indeed. All donations are very well uh, accepted. Emergency phone number for out-of-hours medical assistance from 6pm to 8pm is 03001233211 and the NHS number for non-emergency help is 111. Malvern Theatre telephone number is 01684 892277. 
Worcester Live is 611429, which covers the Swan and Huntington Hall. Worcester Hub number for council matters is 765765 or 722233. Crime Stoppers is 0800 555 111. Our telephone number, as stated previously, is 01905 767766. Our address is 11 Wiles Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. And our website address is www.worcestertalkingnews.org.uk on which you can find all the recordings for the weekly news and monthly magazine and much more. We greatly value your feedback, likes or dislikes or changes you might like to make. Just let us know either by phone or add a note into your envelopes. And don't forget, due to your request, um, the obituaries will be after the final music. So from all of us, good night. Thought for today, Matthew the 10th, verses 32 and 33. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. And now for the obituaries. Neil Evans passed away peacefully at home. The funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on May the 14th at 2.30. Roy Alexander Nuttall passed away peacefully on April the 24th, aged 96. The funeral service is at the Vale Crematorium in Fladbury on May the 24th at 12 noon. Nellie Maud Perkins, known as Polly, formerly Milk Marketing Board and Worcester Cricket Club, passed away peacefully at Gold Hill Nursing Home on the 1st of April, aged 99. The funeral service is on May the 10th at Worcester Crematorium at 12.15. This would have been Polly's 100th birthday. Leslie Wall, known as Lel, uh, sorry, known as Les, passed away peacefully on April the 22nd. The funeral service to take place at Witchenford Church on May the 9th at 2pm. Emily Joan Elizabeth Wheat passed away peacefully on April the 25th, aged 88 years. The Thanksgiving service is at St Andrew's Methodist Church, Pump Street, on May the 13th at 2.45. Peter W. Prine passed away peacefully at Perry Manor on April the 25th, aged 85. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on May the 14th at 11.30. Paul Robert Maitland, Usher, passed away at home on April the 22nd, aged 69. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on May the 13th at 10 a.m. Anthony Worth, known as Tony, passed away peacefully on April the 17th. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on May the 13th at 2.30. Winifred Gertrude Preston, known as Winnie, passed away peacefully on April the 17th, age 93. The funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on May the 13th at 10.45. Vera Denning passed away peacefully on April the 25th, aged 97. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on May the 15th at 1pm. Ian James Frampton passed away on April the 15th, aged 33. All who knew Ian are welcome to the service at the Vale Crematorium in Fladbury on May the 16th at 2pm. 
Joan Frances Taylor passed away peacefully on April the 21st, age 98. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on May the 15th at 2.30. Terence White, known as Titch, late of Castle Street, passed away peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital on April the 2nd, age 78. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on May the 13th at 3pm. Jamie Scott Ashenden died on April the 17th, age 28. The funeral service is at the Vale Crematorium in Fladbury on May the 20th at 2pm. Janet Elizabeth East passed away peacefully on April the 15th, age 71. A graveside funeral service will take place on May the 16th at St John the Baptist Church in Suckley at 3pm. Marie Eileen Edridge, known as Eileen of Kemsey, passed away at Worcester Royal Hospital on April the 22nd, age 94. The funeral service is at Vale Crematorium in Fladbury on May the 16th at 12 noon. Megan Merrill Freeman passed away on May the 5th, age 88. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on May the 15th at 3.15. Mary O'Shea of St. John's passed away on April the 24th, age 77. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on May the 16th at 1pm. Helena Rose passed away at St. Richard's Hospice on the 29th of April. A celebration of Helena's life will be held at Wire Forest Crematorium on the 15th of May at 10.30. It's not necessary to wear black. Our thoughts and prayers go to all the families left behind.